0: Welcome to Ordinary People Doing Extraordinary Things. I'm your host, Carrie Roberts, and I'll be showing you how average, everyday people have chosen to make positive changes in their life to accomplish what makes them happy. I hope this podcast will allow you to feel a connection with people who have something in common with you and make you realize you can have the life you want. podcast listeners, we are back today with our Expert Wednesdays and our April Expert of the Month author and founder of the No Complaining Project, Sianna Stort, here to continue our discussion of letting go of complaining. Today's topic is going to focus on how we can interrupt a pattern of complaining. Thank you so much, Sianna, for being here, and I'm super excited to dive into this topic.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm eager to share it with you.
0: So we talked about how to define complaining and how to become more aware of how it's affecting our relationships with others and with ourselves. But now let's talk about how we interrupt that pattern of complaining. And one of the things you suggest is considering alternate responses. So can you talk about more about what that means?
1: Yeah. One of the things that you'll notice once you've been thinking about complaining for a while is that there are certain triggers that that you have that automatically the response is, I'm gonna start complaining. The more, one of the most common ones is that a lot of people have a habit of complaining about their commute to whoever they're coming home to. So the minute they get in the door, oh, the traffic was terrible, or the train was crowded, or you know, whatever it is. Um, I'm really urban, and so those are my reference points. Um, But we also have, there's people who automatically complain about just about anything you say how are you or what's what's been happening and they just launch into some litany of complaints about whatever once you start recognizing that that's your automatic go-to response then think about in advance of hearing that question what are the other things that you might say so you know when you walk in the door instead of talking about how terrible the traffic was Maybe talk about, oh, I was listening to this awesome podcast about ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And let me tell you what I heard. You know, think about the things that you want to be able to have a conversation with, the things that the person on the other side would want to be and it would actually get enlivened by having a conversation about. And and then have that pre-stored in your head so that when you get that question it'll trigger something new instead of the old thing that you're habituated to.
0: Yeah, I think that's really good. I know um, I always talk about, cause I do this too, like sometimes if I was upset with a phone call, for example, and now I'm driving to go meet someone else, I usually put like certain music on to change my mood or I take deep breaths or I get into a mental space to prepare myself for the next thing. Because the phone call I had with someone else has nothing to do with, the next event or person I'm going to. And I think it's really good that you talk about, you know, having something set up or a process to interrupt uh, your ability to complain so that way you can enjoy
1: the next thing in your life. It's so true. I've started to get into a habit of once I get to a place before just, you know, continue on and bursting in through the door into the new place, I just take a moment, even if it's like 10 seconds to just take a breath Think about the way that I want to come across when I come in. Think about why I'm there, who I'm seeing, and what it is that feels good about what I'm about to do. And then enter with that attitude. And it really only takes about 10, 15 seconds to just do that quick reminder as opposed to just, oh, as soon as you get out of the car and you go up the stairs, you walk in the door, there's like no break between wherever you were just coming from and wherever you're going. Create little thresholds of emotion for yourself and just consciously choose to cross them with an intention.
0: And one of your favorite lines that you use in your book is the no-co zone. So can you tell us what that stands for and how do we get in
1: it? I love the no-co zones. So no-co is for no complaining and for taking the no complaining pledge. I say, I call that going no-co. And a no-co-zone is a particular time or location that you declare that everybody in this time or everybody in this location will not be complaining. You just declare it as a no-co-zone. And um, sometimes you'll have to explain to people what you're doing, and you say, oh, I'm doing the no-complaining pledge, or I've decided to give up complaining. And so here, we're going to talk about things, but we're going to offer solutions. It's not just talk about negative things, or we're going to talk about things that we find exciting, or things that we find interesting or curious, or here's a question that I that I'm captivated by, and I and I want to have an answer to this question. Like those are the kinds of conversations you can have, and so this is most effective, of course, for places where you have control over the conversation in some way. So, like if you have an office, if you're driving in your car, um, if you're the person who cooked the meal, then you know, say during dinner, there's this is going to be a no-co zone. Or I know a lot of people who recognize that their most extreme habits were around complaining to their spouses right after coming home from work, or right upon waking up before going to work, and so they've declared no-co zones for that particular time, from when I wake up until I leave, uh, or from when I come home until we go to bed, or just you know up at, like just through dinner time. You know, or just in this room of the house, this one room, this one water cooler of the office, this is a, this is a no-co-zone. You can't come here and complain about anything if people are going to call you out.
0: Yeah, I think that's great. I have a dance company and I do that uh, a lot and especially with my teenage students because they're at that age in general with hormones changing and dating and all these different things. And, uh, you know, I got to remind them every single week (laughs) that this is not the place to complain. And we've talked about it. So it's interesting because I like a lot of the language you use in your writing uh, because it clarifies how I can explain it to them. You know, the difference between venting, complaining, creating solutions and things like that. So I I think the no zone is a great, great concept.
1: That's awesome. I also encourage using signs and just putting it on the wall and uh or on the table and just saying like this is a no-co zone and then if somebody starts complaining you just have to point at it, <laughs> <laughs> and it it's very effective <laughs> <laughs> i like
0: it start wearing like shirts or something and just be like mm. absolutely and then yeah. Yeah, it might be days of silence but that could be better you know <laughs>
1: totally yeah i have a little pin and there are sometimes when i'm having a very stressed out day i'll just put on the pin and then it's like oh if i want to complain it's like i just have to point at the pin i'm like nope you know that's why i be like, why are you being so quiet? I'm like, no complaining. No complaining. It's like- <laughs>
0: right. It's like the old school thing of like, if you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything right. at all. You just keep it to yourself. Totally. Yeah. You know- it
1: becomes a running joke around my office. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love it. Another thing you mentioned is that we don't always know the whole story about someone. And I'm really glad you said that because this is something I practice a lot and I talk a lot about to others as well. So I'm curious, why do you think it's important for us to be empathetic towards the other person or institution that we might be complaining about?
1: Well, for one, I just have a mission of trying to spread kindness and empathy through the world. So, you know, of course, I wanna talk about this a lot, (laughs) which is Mm -hmm. great. I also feel that we're spending a lot of time, of course, when we're complaining, it's very, very self-focused. And we're talking about, oh, somebody else's impact on me or something else's impact on me. And that's my, my obsession right now. I'm just gonna complain about how I don't have the feelings that I want to have in this moment. And so I'm gonna blame you for creating that. Well, underlying that a lot of times is this suspicion or this uh, expectation that people are acting with bad intent and you're walking around thinking like oh that person didn't bring me my dinner on time because they're lazy or whatever it is where if you think instead about from their point of view what is the full story oh they're the only server in this entire restaurant oh they are trying as quickly as they can they're waiting on somebody else to do their work they're you know maybe maybe this is actually the right pace of the dinner for this restaurant. I'm just feeling in a rush. So taking a moment and saying like, well, what are other other points of view? What is something that the other person could have been trying to achieve? What is it that from, from their side, if they, if I assume that they actually have a positive intent, if they want to do well, then can I, can I reframe the way that I'm thinking about this situation in a way that takes that into account and oftentimes that's one of the best ways to soften our own complaining urges
0: <clears throat> yeah and it's interesting cuz i just had a talk with um a teen uh, student of mine who's in college and we were talking about you know how parents don't always understand their kids kids don't always understand parents and and i you know we had a conversation and and she was very open to it and i just said you know i said i think people forget that we're all human beings um, that just because we're different ages doesn't mean that we don't have the same wants or the same fears or the same questions. And I try to think of that in an empathetic way also of like, okay, well, if I'm feeling this way, like maybe that person also feels that way. You, know, you think you're the only one, but we're all human beings and there's a lot more similarity sometimes than we realize.
1: That's exactly
0: right. Yep. Now, along the lines, and you were talking about this in the last episode, you talked about when we use judgments, it's a way to understand our fears. Can you talk a little bit more about that and give like an example of what that might be like?
1: Yeah, absolutely. There are times when there's something that somebody else does that really, really irks us and it gets us into like a much more emotional reactive space than other behaviors that somebody else might do. So say we think that, oh, that person is so lazy. And it like really, really gets to us that that person, this is the thing that we say about them all the time. That person is so lazy. Well, oftentimes if we actually turn that thinking on ourselves and pause for a moment and say, oh, actually this is like the thing that I am the most afraid that anybody else would ever call me lazy. That's what is fueling the emotions that are underlying my complaint about this other person is that I am so like upset about my own productivity, or I feel like a lot of the self-perception that I have is that I am lazy and I'm trying to constantly overcome it. And so that's why it really bothers me that this other person is, you know, doing this or not doing this thing that it really, really gets to me. And so a lot of times when we can think about that, we take a look at complaints And especially when it's emotionally charged judgments about other people, and use that as a way of thinking about ourselves, the points of intolerance that we have for our own behaviors, the things and the fears and the shames that we carry around inside of us every day, our complaints can be used to help us understand the things that we want to work on, the places that we need to soften towards ourselves, the places where we're maybe a little extra hard on ourselves, maybe more than we have to be. And that may may be exactly why we're being a little extra hard on somebody else.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I think um, I've heard something similar to that where somebody said it can also be like the thing you're missing. Um, So like if you say somebody's lazy, it could be because you work hard all the time and you kind of wish that you had some downtime. Do you think that it could be like the opposite way too, like that thinking as well?
1: That's exactly true. Yeah. You could just be jealous of them. You could say like, that's the thing that I really wish that I have. Absolutely. It could be something that you're missing. And often it is that your characterization of them as lazy is about that you want some rest And they're not maybe being lazy maybe they actually worked really 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 hard and now they're just taking a break you know and again that's depending on your how you're, are you characterizing that behavior that you're seeing from the outside and you're right that it may be about something that you feel a lack of in your life yeah interesting i love this stuff
0: <laughs> okay get <laughs> anyway. um so one of the things that you also wrote about in your book was about identifying physical signals and you said that the physical signals actually happen before the emotions do. Can you talk about the research or the science or anything on that um, and how we're able to recognize that so we can stop the complaining?
1: There's some very interesting older research and newer research about the stuff that our bodies are actually signaling to us before the emotions hit us. And to talk about the ways that, like, a flush is actually hitting our our body that's, we interpret it as shame. And so then we say, oh, I feel so ashamed. And therefore I am having this flush in my face. Well, the truth is that a lot of times that it's an interpretation, sometimes you actually flush and it's because you're very excited and the flush is actually coming first. And then your interpretation gets layered on top of that afterwards. There's also been some very, very interesting stuff about how you can use that information. You can use your body to try to change your emotions, knowing that your physical self actually influences your emotions. That's one of the more surprising things. There's this old study that I love that um, they did an experiment where they had people watch a, kind of a slapsticky video film and while they were holding a pencil in their mouths. Some people were asked to hold a pencil in their mouths like by putting the eraser in their mouths and kind of like pinching their mouths tight around the eraser and having it point straight out. And other people were asked to hold the pencil sideways in their mouth so that it kind of stretched their mouth wide. Well, if you think about what those faces look like, when you have your mouth wrapped around the eraser, it's like a pursed kind of mean look. And if you have your mouth stretched wide with a pencil sideways, then it's kind of like a smile. The truth, the surprising outcome of this test was when people watched that slapstick film, the people who had the pencil in their mouth tight in the little eraser shape, they didn't find the film very funny by and large, while the people who had their mouth stretched into an artificial smile generally found the film funnier. So again, it's one of those things where it's like you think that you are Objectively re- responding to the thing that's in front of you, when sometimes your body is actually telling you how to feel. Now, so, that's be-
0: yeah. So if you're if you're I, again, I get super excited about this. So yeah. um, when so for example, if you were talking about earlier, your your face gets flushed. Can you then? choose how you want to feel about it like if you know like you normally feel shame you're like no i'm gonna choose that this means something else can that be possible
1: yes it can be the most useful thing though for for identifying the waves that like you get flushed or your your stomach gets tight or you know you start to feel shaky or you know whatever it's it is that now you are approaching a danger point in your emotions where you're likely to become more reactive That's the thing that's the most important piece of information about recognizing when your body does those things and to say, whoa, okay, so this is the moment when I actually need to not speak right away, when I actually need to get myself to take a break and to take a breath. And before I say the next thing that comes to mind, let me see if I can think about what I was about to say, because my body is telling me that I'm getting into an emotionally reactive state and I am not going to be the most conscientious, empathetic. I'm not going to be my best self in the next few moments because I'm all wound up. So you can try to change what you're physically doing to to change the emotional state that you're in. Some of it, I keep talking about breathing, but that really is one of the most uh, useful and immediate things that people can do in any moment. You can also do things like recognize that if your face is all scrunched up, like actually make an effort to raise your eyebrows and to fake a smile and to do a thing that is going to change your body's expression. You can also do things like standing up straight uh, and throwing your shoulders back a little bit because that will also change the way that you're thinking, feeling, reacting to a situation. And so it is by doing that and getting clear, then. You can choose how you want to respond. But the truth is that often when you're feeling flushed or your stomach is tight or your, your, your hands are clenched or your palms are sweaty or whatever, you can't really choose the next thing because your body is now in this like, I am like defensive mode or I'm gonna react really strongly. So the best thing that you could do is just try to interrupt that moment and then try to choose to take a breath and, and open up and, and then you can think about what you would like to say or feel instead.
0: I like that. Um, So then moving on, one of the things you also talked about was connections and you wrote about how meeting other people and learning about new perspectives is also helpful in interrupting complaining. So how do we do this?
1: Yeah, there's some very simple things that you can do if you get into a habit of it to try to get out of your own self-focused complaining way of seeing the world. So one, we've already talked about in a previous episode about like, there are more things happening in this moment than what I'm seeing right now. Every moment is good and bad and neutral. So if you could pop yourself out and say, okay, that's what I am responding based on my own point of view. So can I, Change my point of view and think about this from the other person who I'm talking with. You know, what are they seeing, thinking, feeling? What did they experience before they came into this conversation? You know, how is it that they are responding to me or to the situation that is different? What's the other different information that they're carrying? And then what I also like to do is to pop out. And do like a third person, like there's a like a security cam overhead that's just seeing our interaction from a neutral third party, objective place. So how does that security camera perspective or bird's eye view? What does that look like? What does my body language from the outside say about what's happening and what I'm thinking or how I'm responding in this moment? What does the other person's body language say? What is the environment that we're in and how does that contribute to what's happening right now and sort of keep practicing changing what is the given perspective and then you come back to your own perspective at the end of it and then after going through like all of those cycles has that actually changed how I think about this moment you know how how else can I also respond given all of these other ways of thinking about this particular moment, this particular response, uh, that I, that I just got.
0: And I noticed that you dedicated your book to your dad and you said that he taught you how to see from multiple perspectives. How did he do that for you? Because obviously it's an important interruption to complaining that you felt was necessary to add to the
1: book. That's a great question. I'm glad that you brought up my dad. He So my, my mom and my dad are from two different cultures. My mom's from the Philippines, my dad's from New England and, um, and my dad was also trained as a cultural anthropologist. So growing up, there was a way that especially my dad would question any assumption about anybody saying, well, that's just the way that it is, you know, I would say things like, oh, why are we having rice for breakfast? You know, that's not what you eat for breakfast. And he's like, that's not true. That's maybe not what people here in California in this house regularly eat for breakfast. But if you were to go to Japan or you were to go to these different places, then you would see that that is a different expectation. You know, Um, when there's a way that I, I think oh, that's not how it's done for whatever it is, how you get around, what you say, how people get married, what what clothing you wear for particular occasions, all this sort of thing. That's not how it's done or that is how it's done. That's just the way that it is. And you say, well, not everywhere, not for everyone, not all the time. And having that as part of the language of my upbringing, I think has... You know, I feel fortunate that it predisposed me to, to think about things in my life from multiple perspectives all the time and to not just say that my way is the only way because it isn't the only way.
0: Yeah. I, oh, I love that. That's such a great story. And I, I think it's interesting. I am fascinated, which uh, I talk a lot about on this podcast as a whole, on the role parents play in our lives, because I have two wonderful parents and who have definitely shaped who I am, and it's neat to see that that perspective, uh, you know, as a young child, has continued with you even in the way the book is written. Because there's so many different ways that you've given to say, here, here's many options to kind of get out of this complaining zone and improve your life.
1: That's that's great to hear. I love that. <laughs>
0: So uh, thank you so much. Uh, Again, these are some great ways to start learning more about how we can start to interrupt our daily patterns and get to, as you say, a no-co or no-complaining zone. So I look forward to our final episode with you next week. Absolutely. Thank you. Hi, podcast listeners. Have a question about what we discussed today or have a topic you'd like us to cover on Wednesdays? send me an email over at keri, K-E-R-I dot, n dot Roberts, R-O-B-E-R-T-S, at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you and provide as much value as possible to your personal growth journey. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, I would greatly appreciate a review over on iTunes. And if you'd like to be featured on the podcast... Be sure to message me over on Instagram at kerry.n.roberts. Remember that each of us has something that makes us great. So go out there and show the world what makes you extraordinary.